In the name of God, amen. Please be seated. Good morning. <coughs> My name is Mary Ann Buddy. Uh, for those I've not had the privilege of meeting yet personally, I have the tremendous honor of serving as the Bishop of the Diocese of Washington, which includes all the Episcopal churches from the northern tip of Montgomery County through Washington, D.C., around Prince George's, down Charles, and into St. Mary's County. And I am always grateful when my weekly visitations brings me to Southern Maryland, and particularly uh, to this place, to this church, this, uh, as your good rector often speaks of, your ministry of place here, of beauty and the arts and of commitment to the college, to your community. It's um, very proud of the Episcopal Church in Southern Maryland, and most especially of this church and of your, and of your good rector, my friend John, and, and now the rising leader we have in Nathan, in Nathan Ball. I would like to begin today by telling you a story, and it's a story of a, of a woman <clears throat> taken to her sick bed and was on the verge of death. And in fact, in her semi-conscious state, she had this experience of being taken up out of her body, going before the gates of heaven, and standing before the judgment seat. And a voice asked her, who are you? I'm the wife of the mayor, she replied. Did not ask you whose wife you are, but who you are. I am the mother of four children, did not ask you whose mother you are, but who you are. I am a school teacher. Did not ask you your profession, but who you are. And so it went. No matter what she replied, she didn't seem to have a satisfactory answer to the question, who are you? I'm a Christian. Did not ask you your religion, but who you are. I am the one who went to church every Sunday and helped the poor and the needy. Did not ask you what you did, but who you are. She evidently failed the examination, for she was sent back to earth. And when she recovered from her illness, she was determined to find an answer to the question, who are you? And that determination made all the difference in her life. There was a theme for this sermon. It would be never underestimate the power of a good question to change your life. And you can gauge the power of a good question by how many ways and at how many different levels of your being you can answer it. The woman under examination wasn't wrong in any of her answers, except that she seemed somehow ready to stop at each answer, unable as yet to go one step deeper in that eternal question of identity. Because identity isn't a question we answer once and are done with, but we must continue to ask throughout life. Never underestimate the power of a good question to change your life. Now, if you happened to be in church last Sunday, you heard the story of 
the two brothers, James and John, who caught up to Jesus as they were walking along the road to ask him this question. Actually, they didn't ask it. They started out by saying to him, which is, I think, one of my favorite lines in the Bible, Master, we want you to do for us whatever we ask of you, which is such a great setup, right? Can you imagine a child asking a parent that or student, a teacher, just give me whatever I want before I tell you what it is. And Jesus responds with this question. Well, what do you want me to do for you? Which is the exact same question you just heard him ask Bartimaeus, the blind beggar. What do you want me to do for you? The disciples were honest in their answer. They wanted to sit at his right hand and at his left when he came into his glory. In other words, theirs was a desire to share some of the greatness of Jesus. And Jesus, one of the reasons I love that story is because Jesus doesn't judge them or shame them in their response. The other disciples weren't exactly happy with them, as you might recall, but Jesus took the opportunity to teach them, to teach all of them something about greatness in terms of service. You may remember he said, those who would be great among you must be servant of all. So he took their question and invited them to go deeper in understanding what it was that they were asking. With Bartimaeus, what do you want me to do for you? The question just came from the depth of his need. I want to see. I want to see. In some translations, it's I want to see again. So either he had been blind from birth or he had lost his sight, but he knew what he wanted. It was that deep and profound a desire. And as you heard, lucky Bartimaeus, he was one whose prayers were answered in the way that he hoped. So if we hold that question, what do we want Jesus to do for us? in our hearts and minds for even a moment. I think it might tell us as much about ourselves as it does about what we imagine Jesus may or may not do for us. If we allow it to, if we allow it to surface the desires of our hearts. And I know having just lived with this question in my mind for the last couple of weeks, that I can have a different answer every day. And like the woman standing before the judgment seat, one of the things I realize is that I can want many things at the same time with different levels of um, desire. And helping me, holding that question has helped me consider the different kinds of desire that reside in me and how sometimes deeper desires reside above, below or are hidden behind more surface desires. I want my children to be happy. And uh, they're young men now living off on their own. And so whenever I hear anything about their lives, which isn't as often as I would like, I, I pray for their happiness. Right? But sometimes when they're really struggling, I realize that my prayer needs to go a bit deeper for them, 
that God will give them what they need to live well in the midst of life as it comes to them, which may not always be happy. That happiness may not be a large enough category for them to live a life of meaning. That that part of their life will be forged where all of our lives are forged in struggle and pain and loss. And if I were to deprive them of that out of my desire for them to be happy, you see how one desire can mask another desire or invite a deeper understanding of desire. I, I heard a very moving story about a man who was a mountain climber and loved mountain climbing and had saved all of his money and trained for months to climb one of the great peaks. I don't remember which one. With the Sherpas and the base camp and the equipment and the harsh weather. And he has a has a wife and a few and two daughters at home. And right as the summit was within sight, the Sherpa turned to the group and said, I think I can get you to the top before the storm rolls in, but I'm not sure I can get us home. So we have to decide what we're going to do. And the man was torn at first because he had, been, he had had his sight on that peak for a very long time. But he also heard his daughters in his ear and the promise he had made to them when he left that he would come home. And so one desire taking to another desire that was much deeper. A friend of mine has just been diagnosed with a very aggressive form of cancer. And we were talking on the phone. He's going to get the best of treatment. He lives right near the Mayo Clinic in Minnesota. He's going to get it all. And he's hopeful. But the, um, but the outcome is not, the statistics aren't in his favor, and he knows that. And he has a daughter in high school, and we were talking. And, um, and I said that I would pray. And I asked him, how would, you, how would you like me to pray? And he said, well, my first answer is, make it go away, please. And I said, of course, I pray that. And then he said, and if not that, help me live into this with courage. And, and help me prepare for the realization that I may not be there when my daughter graduates from college or can't walk her down the aisle. Help me face into that. What do you want Jesus to do for you? When I pray, and I pray for things that are specific, um, any number of things can happen. And I wonder if I describe them to you, if you, you recognize them in your own prayer. Sometimes I pray for something specific, and the answer is given to me. Um, like Bartimaeus, I, I'm, I, the prayer is answered. And I'm filled with gratitude and thanks. Sometimes I pray for something specific, and nothing happens. And, and I realize as I live into that that space, that nothing space with God, 
that part of what's changing in that is my relationship to the desire that I have. That maybe I'm starting with asking for something that has to do with a rearranging of my external circumstances and what I come to, like my friend, is a place of prayer to be able to live into the realities that are beyond my ability to change. Sometimes I'm taught the way the disciples were taught that what I was praying for was really not worthy of me, nor worthy of a life in God. And I would be corrected in my prayer. And then sometimes I get the answer. And the answer is no. Right? The answer is no. And I think of um, St. Paul who prayed three times for a thorn to be taken from his side, whatever that was. And Jesus' response to him was, no, but my grace is sufficient for you in this. In other words, I will, you will understand my strength as it is lived out in your weakness. And that, my friend, is your answer. Or Jesus himself praying that the cup pass from him. And God saying nothing. And Jesus finally responding, but my, not my will, yours be done. Which in both instances, I think, brings us to the epitome of courage in life and courage in prayer. And in each of these instances, what deepens is that sense of whatever the answer, what matters most is the prayer. What matters most is my willingness to be honest with my Lord and what I bring to prayer and then to wait for what happens in response. And what happens is what can change my life. So I ask you, invite you to consider just for a, a week, a day, an hour, to hold that question in your prayer. What do you want Jesus to do for you? And wait to see what rises from you and what rises in your engagement with him. The power of that question held in your heart in prayer can truly change your life. Amen.